Good evening. I'd like to welcome everyone to the Experiencer Podcast, the podcast that brings you upfront and personal with past and present enigmatic experiences from individuals who have witnessed or even interacted with the strange, the extraordinary, and the otherwise unknown existence of UFOs or aliens. If you've had an out-of-this-world experience you'd like to share, please reach out to me at theexperiencerpodcast at gmail.com. If you have photos or footage of UFOs, IAPs, or any other extraordinary phenomena and would like to share it, please forwarded to the experiencer podcast at gmail.com everyone. I am very happy and thankful to be able to broadcast with you all and share the following experiences from today's guest. I am going to keep this simple. I'll introduce our guest and otherwise we'll jump right into the show and let him tell us the gist of it. This is Marco Sacrin, writer, producer, director of Glenbrook Studios. Uh, thank you for being with us here this evening. Good evening, Christopher. Thank you. Thank you for your time today, Marco. Give us the setting. Maybe start with telling us where and when or how old you were when all this took place. And uh, I'll let you start where you want to start this evening. All right. Well, you know, there's a, a lot to delve into. Here's a scoop. I, I you know, people call about, call things extraterrestrial, UFOs, um, extrasensory perception, uh, paranormal. Um I like to call it all just extra normal. You know, the stuff that's just a little beyond normal that you can't quite explain. And then the things to get into that you can't quite explain, but before your very eyes, you're witnessing something that just can't take place in just a coincidence. Absolutely. Fair enough. So those are most of my experiences, starting from when I was very young. Um, The first most memorable was when I was around eight years old. And uh, I was in the back seat of a car, of my mom's car, and my older brother was in the, uh, in the passenger seat. I was in the back. My mom was driving. And they were talking, and I was just looking out the window as they were driving along, and they were talking about his teacher or something. And she was, said, what's your teacher's name? But there was like, you know, first, uh, you know, start of school or something. Uh, and um, the name popped in my head before anyone said anything. And then he said the name. And I said, how did I know the name? She didn't know the name. He only knew the name, and I never heard of this guy before. So that's the first moment that I really recollect being very curious about that, that type of phenomenon. And that was about five years old, you said? No, I, I eight. Thank you. So that was the first thing inkling. I mean, I can ramble. I can ramble for 45 minutes. Happy to. <laughs> Look, okay, so uh, eight, eight years old, uh, I had that. And that's just one of my distinctive moments that kind of registered in my, in my consciousness that, hey, I got curious about this thing. What's this? What going on? Yeah. So fast forward. Um, um, you know, I have a little sideline of, of alien stuff, which isn't quite. It's in the extra normal category, but it's not. I don't know if it's tied to the to the paranormal 
so I, I have more paranormal stories to tell. Well, you're welcome so to either chronologically, and you just want to go to the next thing, or if you like to go associate associated, you know, there's some association where keep it in the extrasensory, however you well, like to go. Well, I'll spend most of the time in the paranormal, extrasensory stuff, but let me just throw in the alien experience I had, just, just for the sake of your audience, and maybe they can help make sense if it fits in or not. I, I can't be the judge of it. It's just part of my experience. So I'll, I'll, I'll put that aside. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll put that up front right now so we can move on from it. So the basic thing is I had um, lived in the country in Connecticut, and it was, you know, summer times, you know, the the uh, outside noises, the night noises, you know, were like a jungle, you know, literally. It's a cacophony of sounds. And growing up with that, you know, as opposed to being in the desert where it's quiet, you hear crickets maybe, you know, wolf or something but in the in the country in connecticut it's literally uh comfortably a jungle and i got used to kind of listening to stuff and kind of put me to sleep all the night the critters of the crit, you know the all the night sounds you know, there's just a whole bunch of them and i would just let it lull me to sleep but it also had a creepy feeling because there was this consciousness out there mm. you know all that nightlife represented this vast ocean of this consciousness so and my young mind grab, grabbed onto that, naturally, I guess. And so when I was picking up stuff for my brother, when was, my mom was talking to him in the car, and other events, I just feel like I'm picking up from this greater consciousness and that the sound of those night sounds are kind of bring me back to that. But I have these uh, dreams, I thought they were dreams, very often, as we assume they are. Um and it was at a time when um, there was a lot of UFO sightings and stuff going on. So, you know, I might have been influenced by that. That's why I like that. Outer Limits and that, that type of period, you know, 60s, late 50s, 60s. So there's, you know, the Barney and what's your name, you know, were. Yeah, it was a popular picked, flap, too, at that time. Picked up in New Hampshire and I was in Connecticut. So, you know, so UFOs is much on my mind. And um, I might get this a little better order because it's a long time ago. But the details, remember, and I'll, I'll go back a step further. Um, one evening, we had a view on a hillside looking down into a valley. And one evening, I saw these lights in, in, in our valley. And it, I went outside. There's no sound of a helicopter or engine or anything. And they'd move up and move down and then dart off. I mean, it was like, it was like I witnessed a UFO because what could explain that? Um, no sound and the movement. Um and so it kind of creeped me out, but I didn't make, make much of it. Um, and then I had a dream of being abducted once. I thought, I thought the dream was just a dream, and I, and I uh, felt like, okay, I must have just dreamt it, not being influenced by all that stuff. And I'm fairly skeptical. You know, I like to make sure that I kick the tires on, on my, on my uh, conclusions before I, I take them on the road. Fair enough. So, so um, but then soon after that, I don't know how many months or years so after that, again, I was very young. We're driving by this area near where I lived, and I saw this field. And right away, that's exactly where I felt I was taken to the spacecraft or something. And it was, and it was right across the valley where I saw those lights before. So mm. that whole experience just kind of came together as like a spooky encounter, whether it was an astral traveling or, or abduction. I don't know. but um, Or I, an I actual felt... full circle of sorts. However, I mean, again, I'm not here to explain it. I'm just here to tell what I experienced. How close were sure. the, the, the you know, supposed dreams to the original sightings of it in the field and, and what have you? How far apart would you estimate, of course, being young in it a while back? With, within a two- or three-year period. 
may, maybe less. Copy that. But at, at the outside. I understand. So like, you know, 9, 10, 11, 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there. I get, I get that exactly myself. I understand. But I, I can't be accurate because that time didn't register in, in, the, in my memory. When you, when you saw it uh, as you drove past it, did you get a visual in your mind's eye f directly from that dream, or did you just get that kind of euphoric uh, déjà vu sense? It was it was a visual memory of, of seeing exactly mm. that's that's the spot because of the orientation of the tree line and, and and everything. It just was like it's like a snapshot that you don't forget. Uh, there's often an emotion associated with that. Can and, you recall that emotion? And and the emotion is yeah, and the emotion underscored that snapshot the snapshot stopped me and then it brought back the emotion of yes sir of you know it was creepy okay it was spooky it was creepy but i felt protected i didn't feel okay. alien it wasn't an alien scary it was spooky feeling, but it wasn't scary like uh i was being you know like like oh my god i got flashbacks and my belly button being probed or something i went on board the spacecraft i mean it wasn't like a movie although i couldn't I could interpolate a movie and, and, and add stuff to it, but all I experienced was just the supernatural sensation, right? And, uh, you know, I, uh, in the sequence, I saw the, the the light up and down in the valley one night without a sound, and then sometime, whatever later, I had these dreams, and then the third thing was seeing this place that driving by, and I said, "That's where I was," and then the feeling came back of. I don't know. It wasn't a bad feeling. Interesting. Spooky, Interesting. Spooky. A lot of times it's helplessness or fear, but you're saying the underlying feeling was positive or just a euphoria. I, I, whether whether it was a, a dream only and I was just associating stuff because it was just loosely able to connect in my mind and create the illusion that it's something real was happening. Sure. You know, maybe some trick of the eye created the lights in the sky and then I had a dream and then I saw this field and it could be a deja vu kind of thing where it really wasn't uh, actual, actual reality of being abducted or going anywhere. Indeed. But, I, but I've been very connected to the astral travel, to the paranormal level of consciousness of living for so long. So, you know, for most of my life, if not all of it, I feel so connected that I don't rule that out. I don't rule out that if it is alien, I felt like connected to it on a, on a higher consciousness level. Mm. And that was fine with me. Yeah. If that and, was and chronologically right? speaking, it this happens pretty early on in your lifetime of events. So in some shape or form, it feels tied in. Yeah, Would that be fair to say? It, it ties in on the paranormal level. Uh, but everything else that I have to tell is, is really just on, on the you know, psychic paranormal or psychometric or psychometry, as it's called. There's a famous psychic named Edgar Cayce. Have you ever mm -hmm. heard of him? Of course. Right? The but, sleeping prophet. Thank you. Right. He would speak from his lay, laying down in a trance. And so... Um, and he predicted a lot of stuff. And then there was a, another contemporary, another guy named Elron, not Elron Hubbard, who did the uh, Scientology, but another uh, gentleman. I would get to meet you. Not not Elron Hubbard. You talking about the Golden Dawn psychic? Uh, I have to. You know what? I haven't thought about it. I didn't come prepared for this interview. No worries. I understand. An association. The name is out there, but but anyway, his his secretary slash protege. Because um, he was he was out there too, like Edgar Casey as a psychic, right? And so his secretary, who turned into his protege, who became one of the two teachers that I trained under to do psychometry in 1980, 
um, was it was a, a, a point in my life that was another turning point. So between the eight to twelve year old age up till um, I was um, what did I say twenty. Yeah, up to my, the age in, of twenty. In, 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 I was twenty two. Twenty two. Twenty two years old. And so at 22, I, I really got into the psychic world because, um, um, again, I can tell a whole other story between what happens between these spots, but I'll, again, I could spend hours doing this. Um, but suffice to say that a, a, a balloon that landed in the orchard where I grew up in 1980 had a ticket tied to it that led me to a place to, 100 miles away that the balloon traveled to, be, to meet a psychic in New Jersey. And because of that interest I had, my mother took interest in, in my interest, and she showed me an article of someone locally who was an who was a psychic that was speaking. So I went to that event. So it weren't for that balloon and me going to the psychic and being disappointed because he was a charlatan psychic. My mom wouldn't have presented this article to me to, pay, to, to draw my attention to this woman who was in town talking about psychic phenomena. And she partnered with this Patricia Hayes, who was the secretary slash protege of this other famous psychic alongside the good faces. And, and someone could look up that name and it's up. I talked to her afterwards. She was a real deal. She became famous because she predicted an event at Niagara Falls that prevented people from being killed or something. I, I vaguely or, or, remember. Or maybe, 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 or maybe didn't prevent it. Just, just predicted that it happened. You know, maybe she caused it. I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> that is a part uh, of the phenomenon, potential aspect. <laughs> Yeah, right. Uh, manifest your own exactly you know, your own premonition. Anyway, um, I'm, um, I, I'm I was always always about the genuine. What what's real about all this? You know, I don't want to be out in la la land believing this or that. I, I really wanted something to be concrete. I wanted concrete evidence that stuff was happening. So I decided to enroll for a weekend workshop with about five other co, co class you know, classmates or co students that we were all under their tutelage. Uh-huh. These two ladies and they put us through exercises that helped develop our, our ESP and our sense of reading things. We read objects and people. And that was the primary goal of the weekend workshop was to train us in those skills. So I got trained and it and it blew my mind. Again, I can go on and on about it, but just to highlight it, just to show how it blew my mind. So we're really, really just taught to meditate. And I had already practiced that, so I was already good at calming the mind and centering yourself. And then you kind of become a blank slate. You go, okay, I have a little pain over here, my knees hurt, whatever. You kind of evaluate what's going on with you and what your status is. And then once you have that down, you've relaxed and cleared your mind if you can. Just be mindful of, you know, just aware of what's going on in your body. Then you introduce something, an object or a person. And then you just record what comes, what gets added to you, what comes into your brain after that point. Okay. And you just become a reader. Okay. And you're just reading and writing things down. And and very quickly, so I got so much more to tell you. No, please. Two, two incidents that happened on the Sunday of that weekend, which is like the final, you know, final exam, so to speak, or the final practice, where we okay. put everything we learned in, into, into practice. So we're supposed to take an object and do a reading of it, and then we take a person who's opposite us, hold their hand. We don't talk to them. And then we just tune to them. So first I took an object. You don't know who it belongs to. You just pick an object and you start writing on an index card. And I wrote everything about it. And I wrote, you know, I see a, a, a pine forest. I see a red, I see a cabin. I see a red boat, you know, a canoe or something like that. And I see there's some guy named Hal or Hank. You know, I was just writing anything that came to my mind. I mean, I thought I was just making it up a story or something. But literally, that was the practice. You're supposed to trust what's coming through you. The psychic you impulses. 
once you've cleared your mind and assessed where you are, where you know what what what, the, what your status is in terms of pain or discomfort, or just just assess where you are, and then whatever when you introduce something, what is added to your experience, and you just talk about it. And I just talked about it, and this is what I saw. Sure enough, I get the card back, and you're supposed to get check mark X or question mark or something, right, on each of the items. And I had you know a couple dozen items written down, and I had some question marks. I had a couple X's, and then the check mark was cabin in the woods with a red canoe, and a guy wasn't Hal or Hank, but it was Harry or something. Wow. That's still All a right? lot of hits and one string of hits. So I could throw a bunch of darts, and I can you know, maybe hit a few targets, but just to be tuned in like that and get that much information was very intriguing to me. Okay? Mm-hmm. And so I sat down with a woman I didn't know. Coming in just as a volunteer, you know, to help us practice. So sat down, held her hands for a moment, and let go. They did all that tuning in, you know, relaxing myself and assessing and then tuning in. And right away I said, I don't know, I see kids around you. Are you a school teacher? I mean, I see see, like second grade or something. It's just I couldn't deny it. It It's just what came to my mind. Mm -hmm. And I talked about other things and other things and other things and other things. And and we finally stopped, and that's all I can think of. She said, well, I am a school teacher and I second grade. So that was another thing that just sort of made me believe that there's something greater going yeah. on. I love it. It's very similar. Um, a lot of psychic training schools and institutions that have developed since the uh, mid-70s, late-70s, very similar to the coordinate remote viewing protocols. Are you familiar with those? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's very cool that you had a lot of the same hits that Lynn Buchanan and others describe in their books of their training. Right. And that was empirical to me, to be experiencing these types of things wasn't just I'm imagining it. I'm not having a dream about aliens or imagining this or filling in the gaps. These are the facts. I look at, I, I do this, I see this, I write it down, and I see it more than what you'd imagine is true. Right. You can't. You couldn't guess to be that accurate. Well, that, that's just the start of it. Very this beautiful. Is just, this, is just, this is just the appetizer. I'll, I'll come back. If you want me to come back, I'll come <laughs> No worries. Please so, continue in your own so, way. So... So I, I jumped to that 1980 workshop, and that convinced me of a lot of that stuff. So that kind of helped also channel all the mystery stuff that was happening before that. It kind of like um, helped me um, grasp it all and feel that that had a, I, that this there's a place for all this. Something right? worth spending a little more time on. Yeah, but it was also a sense of it wasn't creepy anymore. It was intriguing, mm-hmm. and and it became almost like an extrasensory perception power. Almost. I have to say, I find it really ironic that, you know, you mentioned the first uh, gentleman that led you via the balloon with a ticket in it was a charlatan, but yet he still played a place in this all. Absolutely. That's the thing. It's my interest and intrigue that I actually took the time because, you know, most people say, oh, this got snagged and by the wind, got snagged in your trees. So get rid of it, you know? Yeah. But it, had a, but it had a ticket for a psychic, a free ticket for a psychic going, that has to be a message. Still I mean, inserted no vocabulary in your consciousness. Yes, and if it's not a message, I was going to make it a message because it was that, <laughs> that meaningful to me, all right? I love so it, So I please. have a whole adventure. I could spend two hours telling you, but the whole adventure it took me to just get down in New Jersey. I bet. You know, 100 miles, 120 miles away <laughs> to get bet. back again and meet the guy. I mean, I can make a little movie about that alone, you know, and then meeting the guy and everything. And he That's cool. Back. It, was just, it was just a whole trip, but it got me on the map. It got my, my interest on the radar, and my mom got on her radar and that was enough and also that way i could tell the difference you know hmm. you know he, he he was one idea of a psychic and i met that. like a more, a more genuine person yeah. that was into the real psychic not not the showman side of it she was into the actual 
physics of it. You know, there's, there's physics involved in this. Indeed. As I mentioned to you earlier, it's like, um, you know, what scientists still can't explain huge percentage of, of the universe of black matter and black energy. Oh, indeed. And all of science is constantly being developed uh, from and a the theory ocean, forward. Even the oceans on, on our very Earth are only like what? There's still 90 something percent we haven't explored. Undis- yeah. <laughs> so the unknown is, is still vast out there. And we'll never know. We'll never know an explanation for all of it until we understand all of it. And it's going to take, you know, many, 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 many generations. And all those things are speeding up much faster. Where each generation generation can consume more data and all that, and just how we're designed. But it's almost like a natural progress that we just don't know is happening about the unknown. So let me sum this up. So I learned psychometry. Psychometry is taking an object or a person or whatever, just taking something. And you, you put it as your center of consciousness, and you respond off of it, okay? So I've learned a couple things. I've learned that if I ask, I shall receive. If I ask a question, I will get the answer. So I uh-huh, go, uh-huh. okay, something enters my mind. Who are you? Oh, I got an answer. If I don't ask, I don't get an answer. So I'm, I'm, I've gotten used to asking things. So, Beautiful. Um, so here's an example I, I, I wanted to bring up, too. So around that time, um, 81, maybe 1981, something like that, um, about a year later, within that year, so I was now kind of a, a trained psychic. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I had a diploma, whatever. It was. You know, I mean, that's just still funny talk. Still, it's, a, it, it's an awesome I, endeavor, I went, nonetheless. Yeah, I went through a weekend workshop and I came out with some skills. A trained know? psychic. I, there you go. <laughs> and so, you know, I have my 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 whatever the, the belt is, karate. Black you had the white belt in, in psychic, uh, yeah. That's it, right. I'm, I'm working psychom- on Psychometry, yeah. <laughs> psychometry. Thank you. Um, Thank you, Marco. And um, so that was about taking objects or things or people or whatever and just tuning into them because the theory is that air, energy is everywhere and everything retains energy and, and energy doesn't get lost. So if someone's wearing a wedding ring for their whole life and then they pass away and someone holds that ring, you could literally go back and tune into their whole life to that ring, you know, if you were that attuned, if you're a black belt, so to speak. But being a white belt, I just get bits and pieces, and I get enough to construct enough of an impression. Mm. So um, maybe eventually I'll be black belt. I'll let you know. I'll get back on your program when that happens. Please, but, please always so, feel welcome, <laughs> even at the yellow belt, Marco. <laughs> very, very good. You have to keep keep me apprised of all the levels. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm so sorry. So. So anyway, um, so I, I started to use it as my little superpower, right? My little secret superpower. You know, I wasn't going to the races and betting on the horses because it wasn't like that type of superpower where, you know, like in uh, Back to the Future, you know, where they go back and get the all, all the winning horses and then go in the future and bet on them. Got the manual, yeah. Or the way around, go in the future and see them and come back, bet on whatever. <laughs> I'm old-time dyslexic, pardon me. So... Um, <laughs> So he, here's the here's the other thing. So I was um, with a friend of mine, and we're looking for some stickers. And he was looking for the stickers. I was just going along with him. So we went to a, another friend of ours' house, a house he was staying with a other bunch of people. This is during our end of college years. So it was like a frat house kind of thing, but, you know, with five or six guys or something, and they all have a bedroom. But it's a big house, right? It has a huge foyer. You walk in, there's a foyer, that type of house, right? And so he went right to our friend's bedroom to look for the stickers. You know, that's his logical place. Oh, okay, I go to his bed. He's looking for the bedroom. And, stuff. and I'm waiting there for him, standing in the foyer at the front entrance. 
inside. And I ask, okay, if I wrote these stickers, where would I be? Mm-hmm. Literally, right? Literally this is the thought question that. I've been asking. So I go, okay, here I go. I'm going to use it. Okay, if I wrote these stickers, where would I be? And I just walked at two, two or three paces to this wall where there was a cabinet. I opened the cabinet. And in the cabinet was a uh, these little uh, little tiny drawers that they used for workshops, like in, in the you know in the garage, you know, little drawer things, okay, you know, yeah. utility uh, drawers, the small ones for screws and stuff. There's like one or two of those in there. And I went to one little drawer, and now the second drawer, I pulled open. There were the stickers. <laughs> Explain that. <laughs> I love that it. You know, you preceded it with a question. That's awesome. You followed your training, as simple took- as it may appear. It took two steps forward and, and, and the second try of a drawer to find them. And Only it's not a I living sentient it. object. It's a, it's a non-organic object, right? Right, but, but I'm getting I'm, – I'm going with the flow. I'm asking mm. where they are, and I'm trusting my instincts. I'm just doing what a crazy person would do, follow the ghost, <laughs> you know, and just do their thing. But it paid off. I found the friggin' things within three moves. I have had instances like that. I won't go into mine, but I have had – once I've learned things, I, w- I tried to practice them as long as I could remember, of course, to keep trying to practice. And I had a lot of m- more successes than I often even remember I did. So, please, that's so cool. That's really, really cool. So, all right. So that was yet another story of or, you know, proof of concept type of thing, right? And right. so I really felt I had a superpower. So from then on, if I wanted something, I would just ask for it. And I feel guided to it. And to this day... I feel like I'm guided to everything I need to succeed. It just happens if I let it happen. Mm. I ask for it and let it happen. So I don't know if it's just I have good karma at this point. I don't know. You know, I've been a pretty good guy all my life. I'm not perfect. You know, I've done some things that I, I take back, but still, who, who, how do you explain that? So I'm very religious, or not say religious, very spiritual that way. So in this, in the beginning of our conversation, we're talking about the alien stuff and maybe these other connections tied to the paranormal that is one big consciousness and so i was able to tap into that in a very realistic way with proof that it works <laughs> I, I i am absolutely uh, on the same page with you and i th- th- they're really cool associated experiences so please i know that you have more continue marco let me get the next yeah. one well let me get to the next one which kind of the main course and uh we can always go backward in time if we need to but the next one is um uh, tied to the 1980 uh, um, weekend um, uh, intensive on psychometry and psychic skills. Um, oh, awesome. Yeah, with these two gals. So the, I told you about these. The uh, I picked up this object for the mantelpiece. I forgot what it was, jewelry or something. And then, uh, I, then, I, then I, I tuned into this teacher. Well, the other exercise was one of, the, one of our teachers – who one of the psychic teachers had a psychic drawing. She did psychic drawings. Everyone does a little, has their own little uh, artistic avenue to express themselves. And, and, and hers was to draw with pastel crayons, pastel, just abstract kind of free flowing stream of consciousness drawings, and then let people interpret them. Yes, sir. So she raised up a picture, you know, it's about, you know, you know, seven inches by, by, by eight to eight inches, kind of eight, 10 inches like that. Not too big. And I still drawing. Well, okay, I'll do it. Raise my hand because no one else wanted it. So I took it and I looked at it. I said, "Gee, that looks like the World Trade Center towers and the South Towers cracking off and falling to the southeast." I better write that down. So I write down everything I see in the picture. 
And then there's a stairway there that's going nowhere. It's just a stairway, and then it just, there's nothing beyond it. And there's all this rubble all around, this pile of rubble everywhere. You know, what is this? This is science fiction. So I wrote it all down. I wrote two pages in my journal line, right? 21 years later, I'm on a plane leaving Manhattan after I have a pitch to IBM for a, a show I've been producing for them for a couple of years. Every year we, we pitch again. And I go to New York. Or it was an input set, you know, it was an input session to pitch. So the input session was on September 10th, and we're flying out late. And on, uh, on September 11th, 2001, I'm in the plane on the tarmac at 12, 1. We're supposed to leave at 2 a.m., and we're on the tarmac for three hours. So I was probably the last or one of the last planes leaving New York City. Uh, um, you know, JFK, I think it was, um, on, uh, on 9-11. Uh, the night before 9-11 or on 9-11 itself? Well, I, I was leaving the night before, but Sorry, I was in the plane for so long that... <laughs> it became it, 9-11. It, it, it became, after midnight, 9-11. So it was the very wee hours of 9-11 that I'm waiting on the tarmac, and I'm finally trapped on the plane for three hours. It's not it's fun. No. You know, when they're saying, in 20 minutes, we'll be going, guys. And oh, another 20 minutes, you know, tell you the pastor's that eight, ten times. Yeah. So then we're finally taken off. We get home. I'm exhausted, and I flop down in bed here in Vegas and three hours later. I go to bed, and my wife wakes me up saying, Honey, the towers are down. I'm going, the towers are down. And then the first thing I thought was New York City. And I said, What, there's a blackout? And I, I lived back east, so there was a blackout back in the 70s. Towers are down, blackout? I mean, what's up? And it was right on the news at that moment. They're showing the plane crashing in there. Yeah, I remember it being morning news for me as well. And all of a sudden, it all flashed back to me, and I said, This is what I saw. And so, fast forward, October 1st, 2001, you know, three weeks later, um, I was going back to New York to do the pitch. And afterwards, after we pitched, uh, me and, and the CEO and, and my um, creative director, we, we just decided to take a detour, go down to, to, uh, not to the Ground Zero. And we went down there to have the cabbie drop us off, and we walked around Ground Zero on October 1st, 2001, wow. walking through all the rubble. And there were still pockets of flames and fire, you know, burning in, in pockets of the buildings. Wow. And all Isn't the stores were just, it was just blown out. All were blown out. It hasn't been cleaned up at all, right? It was just wow. witnessing the horror almost like it had been there on the very day, you know? Oh, and gosh. and all the stores were blown out with, it was like chalk and dust on everything. Everything was just white. With I can almost tell chalk. what you're going to say next, but I would, I can't wait for you to say it. Please go ahead. <laughs> so... I and I have to also do a flashback to 1974 when I was around 16 and the World Trade Center towers were built and I thought they were ugly but I still wanted to see them because they're the biggest things in the world tallest things in the world so I went down there and I knew New York well I was in Roman streets since I was 12 my brother lived there and everything so I, I knew New York I could back my hand so I I just wanted to go down there. I went down there and I went up to the top of the South Tower. And I had this experience where I must have, I, I got past security because they took two or three elevators to get up there. And I finally got up there and they hadn't finished the floor off. The glass was in, but all the ceiling was all still open. And 360 degrees other than the elevator shaft was just wide open. I had the whole single floor wow. on the South Tower, like the hundred and, you know, eight, seventh floor or sixth floor or whatever it was, you know, like a few floors from the top. I went to the highest one, and there I had this whole place to myself, and I see the shadow of the buildings going into Long Island. 
And I just felt like that was a moment for me. I was right there with right there, right? You were there on the top floor during its completion. On my own floor. And you were there on your own floor. So psychically tuned in, if you will, to this building. here I am back. Fast forward again to October 1st, 2001, where I'm I'm roaming the the wreckage, seeing all the blown-out stores with all all the clothing on the racks, but everything's dusted with white, you know, chalk. Everything's just like a surreal black and white, you know, CP, uh, not CP, but really a black and white kind of a effect. And um, fires are burning. It's like you're in a war zone. It's like it was like Berlin in 1940, you know. Um, seeing all the wreckage, you know, because they hadn't cleaned it up yet. They're still just rescuing and, and trying to get, you know, things kind of settled down there before they can move everything out. So I was witness to that, right? And I smelled it. Most thing of things is I could smell it the concrete, the metal. The burning, there's, there's a whole combination. I'll never forget the memory of that smell. It's hard to describe a smell, like trying to describe a color. But I, I, I that smell was just like steel and asphalt and concrete and wires it, and everything it, it, wrapped it put, together. Put it all together, put it all together, and it, it had a it had a wow. chemical or it had a you yeah. know a very metallic, yeah, you know, kind of sense to it. You know, it's hard. I, it's hard to describe it all that. But um, um, anyway. And then we're, we're and, and I'm looking at it, and this is the pile that I saw in that picture, right? And, and the South Tower cracked off southeast that I wrote. So there are about a dozen things I wrote in my journal in 1980 that, that came true 21 years later, not because I saw them, but because this woman did a picture that I interpreted, and I just saw what she told me. So I, I was believing in her talents. Wow. And did then, she happen to draw it, that right then and there that day? In, 19, in 1980. I don't know if she did it then or brought it with her. I'm not sure. Wow. But around that time, so 21 years prior, she drew that, and she she was her premonition that I was recording, and then witnessing later, and then when we're leaving that that little tour, we're driving off in, in the next cab to the airport, and as we're driving past, there's this staircase to nowhere, right there. I'm passing wow. it, and that's the staircase that this woman's life was saved in. It's, it was all over the news. Oh. So here. Tw- so 21 years earlier, I'm I'm writing about the stuff that I'm now witnessing with my own eyes. Hmm. Were Surreal. you tapped into her? Or was she tapped into you? Tapped into? No, no, I was tapped into her. But but I was I I, I chose to, to interpret her picture because I was the one chosen to interpret it because I was going to witness it. I was I now entered history by by accepting to interpret her picture. I'm tapping in. She's tapping in. Whatever. I'm now a very uh, attuned, and, mm. and that's what what that workshop was, was about. It was about attunement. I think that, that that's how they described it. You know, to, to find your way to attune yourself to to what's around you, and attuning yourself to the spirit and to what's greater than you. You know, it's just all of that. So that's we were all part man. of it, and I was just interpreting it. But it blew my mind when I was saw it. I mean. It, it really, it, it knocked me out for months after that. Oh, rightfully so. My, my fuses were burned. It was like, it was like <laughs> you know, finding, finding, like a little sticker, finding a little sticker in that house was nothing compared to this. This was like, you know, like uh, you know a, nuclear, a nuclear reactor exploding. Wow. Uh, I mean, to witness uh, the, the surreal things. Of, so I made a movie about that. My seventh. Great. My, uh, my uh, what am I, I'm sorry, my, um, what was it, uh, my fifth or sixth uh, movie feature film I made about it, a documentary about that whole experience from 1980 to witnessing 9-11. Oh, that's and awesome. Then, and then... I might is, have I to know, bug you for that spec script someday, Marco, okay. just to read well, it personally. I made the movie. You could, you could transcribe it if you want. Oh, you did um, make it? 
Yeah, I made it. It's, oh, it's that's, a movie. Oh, that's too awesome. Oh, well, now now we're, we can all fall it. down the rabbit hole with you. This is even getting yeah. better. Absolutely. So this is what the movie was about. And this is my, might be the answer to your question earlier or what you thought where I was leading you. Yes, sir. Is that, is that because of my experience in 1974 at the World Trade Center South Tower, because of this woman's, um, um, Patricia Hayes' uh, pastel drawing of, of 9-11 you know, 20 years prior, and then me having to to be uh, in, with an IBM uh, download session on that day, and then come back for uh, after the event three weeks later for a pitch session to IBM. You know, one of my biggest clients at the time, and I was the height of my career. And seeing the tour of Ground Zero, I mean, that's a through line. So I made the movie to psychometrize the building of the South Tower. Mm. So I spent the movie as a psychic experiment to just focusing on the South Tower and, and using my psychic skills to tie into all the memory that's tied to that building, including my own connection to it because I was inside of it. I had an intimate connection. Well, I'm very thankful that you're spending this time to share this with us today because we're possibly extending that print even further. That's really cool. I really like that. Thank you, Mark. So you have to watch the movie to, to find out what, what, what I drew from it, you know? I'm game. I, I, drew, I drew some conclusions, and I did my own psychic reading of that event. The hypothesis and, alone, I'm sure, is staggering. I can't wait to, to, to dig into this. The local the local uh, paper, the, the Mercury, is it? You know? Las Vegas Weekly, and then there used to be the Mercury, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Or Las Vegas. It's one of those two. Um, they, they wrote it up, and the, the headline for, for my movie review was... Um, a stunning achievement in filmmaking. And they meant that in a little double entendre way, you know, a stunning, like, because I was pretty shocking to be, uh, I was pretty out there t- telling what I think was going on. I, and so, I really um, like the idea of documenting psychic experimentations, you know, especially in a more modern sense. So I think that's really cool. And you must have been a hell of a head of the curve. I was kind of like doing like a one person seance of all the people who died that day. That's really kind of what I felt like. And I was just being the messenger. Wow. That's what that movie is. Do you have it published online that we might be able to share that link with listeners? I don't have it available at the moment. No problem. But I will have I will have a um, a release at some point, and um, um, I'm looking for some help to get me to the next point. Here, I have a a domain that uh, you can mark down um, that I'm going to be putting movies on. You know, eventually over time. So. You know, every few months you can check back and see what's there, if it's changed or not, and eventually it will change. And definitely next year it will change. But Copy, and it takes time it. to get a production done. Understood. But it's, but it's very simple. It's my first name, M-A-R-K-O, not C-O, not the Italian, but the Slavic. I'm actually Ukrainian. <laughs> so M-A-R-K-O dot TV. So that's it. My first name, M-A-R-K-O dot TV. It's with the WWW before. Make sure there's TV. And then uh, there's a movie there called Amygdala Warrior, which you can watch. You're, I mean, your listeners can um, just mark that down, and over the next few months or years. Yeah, check it out every six to nine months. See what's new on there. It. See if we find this uh, exactly. psychic documentary on 9-11. That sounds quite it, intriguing, to say the exactly. least. Exactly. It is on IMDb, and, and, and if you Google it uh, or my name, you'll, you'll, you'll catch a trailer for it. That's just as cool. That'll keep me in the meanwhile. Just make sure it's mine. There's some copycats out there that have that check the title that just stick it on any old crap. Oh, always is. So just just t- make sure my name's there and uh, uh, my nine eleven. It's called my and and then nine slash one one. Awesome, my nine eleven. And, it, and it's, it's called 
and, and to make it distinguished, it's called a para-documentary. So it's Marco Sacron's My 9-11, a para-documentary, P-A-R-A. Oh, like paranormal. paranormal. I love it. Para-documentary. That's too cool, Marco. You're, you're, you're on the cutting edge on something right here, well, I'll tell you what. I have, I have to give credit to where credit is due. You know, I, I work with some good people, and I don't come up, I, I'm, thankfully, because I don't come up with all the, I call good ideas, but not 100% of the time. So I that you. actually came from um, uh, one of my mentors who happened to be one of the former managers of the story department at Paramount Studios. Ah. And so he was consulting with me at the time, and um, he suggested that I call it a para-documentary, and I thought that was clever. So I give him credit. I love Michael it. Mead. I love it. A true creative uh, gives credit where credit is due and is open to suggestions at the same time. I love it. You have to. Indeed. So, you know, that's kind of the bulk of stuff, um, of the other stuff I, I listed for you. Anything else you want me to uh, point out that you have any questions about? That, that was pretty heavy. I almost need a minute to sip of water or a cigarette, but let's move, let's move on. It took me uh, two years to, to re- at least to kind of recover from that. Swallow that pill. Right. Some I'm, things. I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm just still now recovering, literally. No, I, I started seeing, uh, taking deja vus into a place of dreams where I saw my future. I realized that deja vus aren't what we've already seen. They're glimpses into the future. Then when I started yeah. digging into that further, I started having dreams, but realizing that they're often tied to our emotions. So I started to see glimpses of the future, but they were of my dog dying or something just as painful. So you got to be careful what you, what you delve into only because well, uh, there's a lot of energy and emotion tied to it all. You got it. And I'll want to throw this in because that reminded me, uh, I, I'm, I'm a director at heart, uh, but I produce so I can direct and in order to produce that right. So I can produce and direct. Right. And, and I've gotten pretty, I've been told, but gotten pretty good at the writing I've about, you know, about a dozen and a half screenplays and I've produced four or five of them and uh, got some, the works and my next one is really a, a doozy i'm really excited because i think that's the one that's going to finally be my breakthrough project everyone mm. needs some breakthrough at some point but anyway through my, my screenplays um i've tuned into stuff and the tuning in often becomes prophetic and uh, i joke with my wife about it we go everything i write comes true so it, it's kind of scary you were know, you a I, simpsons I, writer once marco <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, I, I know that they probably were tapping into the same energy. <laughs> Indeed, we most most musicians, creatives, artists, the like, we all but, do, right? But if, but, if, but if we're channeling a greater force and a greater spirit and, and inspiration and all the stuff that comes through us, you know, whether we give credit to our friends or our colleagues who give us ideas or to whatever muse we have um, that that feeds us, the pen or the that, universe, that, yeah, that that, that muse. If we're open to it and we're and we're trusting our instincts, which is another important thing I've learned to trust one's instincts and be, to become trusting of them, you know. Uh, and so sometimes, uh, because you trust your instincts, you're you're landing into a stream of consciousness that that's telling you something that 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 that, that, that you're the messenger for, right? Yes, so I, I often feel like I'm writing stories that I'm a messenger, and what's the messenger for? Well, I'm writing for something that's going to happen, and I'm I'm almost preparing for that for some reason. I, I just Still, I'm trying to find a place for that, and it's gonna, and that kind of spoke me too. When um, um, I, I, you know, these things that have happened throughout the political season, you know, I had a political comedy, and things are coming true from that. So I have to be careful. Whatever's coming through me, I have to say, is this a premise? Is this is this forecasting something going to happen? And so there was one I, one idea I had a sci-fi idea it was about the 
sun exploding. And then when I told some friends, some people who were working with me on it, they didn't know me very well, but they, were, they didn't know me because they are working with me on it, went out to lunch. And uh, I told them about this, and I told them my psychic experience, and it freaked out this, this girl because she thought, oh, my God, that means the sun's going to blow up because you, you, you wrote it. And so really she thought I was predicting the sun blowing up, and it scared the hell out of her. So there's a lot of freaky stuff you got to you know be, be in control of and not let everyone know it. But the stuff I write, again, I can elaborate on, but there's stuff that I, every time I write something, it has foretold something that has come true. And even if it doesn't, the emotions behind it, the correlations that happen with it, we also we often start to realize, ah, oh, maybe it didn't happen. It was a parallel universe. You know, we live in a multiverse. So maybe I got a glimpse of something that happened. It changed last night. Thank God it won't happen. I had the emotional or empathetic, you know, for that moment. Yeah, for that moment, I saw what was gonna happen. So. Uh, a lot of times, personally, that's what I think is happening. We're getting glimpses well, at a parallel possibility that did or didn't happen. How about this? I, I, I propose this, um, uh, this angle to the whole thing. I'm, I see it, things not so free. I still, you know, there are patterns out there, right? You look at nature. Yes, fractals. You know, bees and bugs. You know, they're all free flying, but they're all in a pattern. They're all doing their thing, right? Human yes, beings, sir. you know, the traffic jams and all, all the bird's eye view of, of uh, interesting interstates, intersections, you know, at night with the red one direction and white the other direction, you know, we're, we're all predictable. We go to work, you know, there's, we're like nature. We're, we're in this, in these patterns. Yeah. And so those patterns don't change overnight. They, they can be predicted. You know, this person I can predict, they're going to go to work the next morning, you know, yeah. and I, I can predict that light's going to turn red, you know, and you know, everything is timed or whatever. So there's a lot of stuff that can be predicted. Indeed. I'm seeing it this way that because it's like a clock that's already set in motion, when I see the future, I'm not seeing the future. I'm seeing the ingredients now that are going to lead to the future. Here's an example to reinforce that theory. So 1980, again, being that, that, that demarcation point where I was getting my skills, my credentials to, to go out in the world and practice. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was attuned, or I learned the art of attunement. And so did my life, my career, well, got married, all kinds of stuff. Got married twice, even. So, the lived life, a lot of stuff was going on. You know, again, big autobiography there. As it does. But, but when I got to the before nine eleven, I was I was worried about this this premonition that these that the tower is going to collapse. So, I was tuning in for the longest time, and my wife can tell you, I was always worried about what about that premonition, you know, when's it going to happen? Because I don't know what year it was, right? I just knew that's what's going to happen. Sourdough is going to crack off, and all the rubble is going to be there, and that staircase, and all the little details. Mm. So, when, what year I was asking? Okay, what year? What year? I found the sticker. I asked for the sticker. If I was a sticker, it would be now. What's the year? So, 1998 came to mind. So, the build-up to 1998 happened, and nothing happened. The towers weren't destroyed. Nothing happened. 93, that there, there was an attack. It's like, oh, that must be tied to it, right? Remember in the basement? Oh, of course, of course, yes. And then 98 happened where I had it in my mind. It's 98, 98. And then when 2001 hit, 9-11, and then they're bringing all the history up, 1998 was the fatwa that Osama bin Laden laid on us for that attack. So that's why mm. I picked up 1998, because that was the, 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 the when everything killed in his mind, and, and it became an order. Yeah. So 
I'm picking up stuff not knowing how to do it. So when 9-11 Inference. happened, I, I, I'm like in, in that small category of people that go like the guy who gave the ticket to the hijacker, you know, I mean, to, to, to uh, uh, whatever is it, the lead, lead hijacker, you know, just these people who are incidental, but who feel they're like the, the survivor's guilt kind of feeling, ah, right? Ah, yes, yes, that, yes. So you're that, t- that, 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 that we witnessed it and we couldn't do anything about it. We couldn't stop it. We'd be considered a crazy person if I went out there to speak. And say, Don't. Watch out. This is going to happen. You know, and they're going to say, right. oh, another crazy person. Yeah. So there's nothing you can do. You just have to be a witness to history. And that's what I had to resign myself to eventually. Because there's, and maybe it was also a big lesson like, oh, let's not let's take my, my, my connection really seriously now because it's not light, light anymore. So maybe the next time something happens, I can maybe do something about it. So there's always that hanging out over me, like this damage, sort of damage. No, absolutely. And, and, and again, uh, I think any human emotion dealing with a psychic sense in, the, in its original imprint, that's got to be heavy enough, let alone... The more you think about it, the ripples of, of its actuation or its manifestation, we can only be passengers to this whole thing, but still heavy nonetheless. But, but, but that's how I see it. Again, bird's eye view, stepping way back, you know, there are patterns. And what we pr- predict, what I predict anyway, I think, is I'm tuning into something now that that's going to lead to something in the future happening. So when that thing in the future happens, it's not that I predict it happening I saw it happening because I saw the the origin of it, or I saw the, the momentum, or I saw the Ooh. you know the collection of energy toward it. So that's why I don't think I see the future. I just I see things in the present that that the present leads to the future. So I'm just catching it before it happens. Right, a new heavy imprint and possible outcome. I mean, I'd love to work for the police if I can get this bottled you know bottled up because you know I, I can't I, I don't want to work under pressure like a parlor trick you know. Right. Here. You know, dogs can sniff things out. I can't just. I'm I not can't force it on and on. Sometimes it no, takes and, and, a decade. Sometimes it's a month. <laughs> right, and and that's what I'm finding too. A lot of stuff I predict in my scripts are ten years early. So, good luck. You know, finding the killer. Just if you want to use me, it take ten years. Okay. <laughs> but hey, you gotta you gotta lead. You know, so when those. But, but I'll find him. I'll yeah. find him. But it'll take ten years. You okay, got a head okay. start. So when those leads pop up, start to get to work. <laughs> right. I'll tell you right now where he'll be in ten years. All right. <laughs> Yeah, that's the human side of it all, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So, um, I know that that sums up a lot, right? Yeah, and you know, you you did mention two decades of being haunted. Would you like to touch on that at all? Well, the haunting, I put it, because it does feel like that. Because, you know, and I did... Oh, I can add one more thing, too, by the way. Um, When I screened the movie, My 9-11, I screened it at the Brendan Theaters in Las Vegas. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I had a good, good, uh, good-sized house. You know, a lot of people there. Nice. Um, people came up afterwards and congratulated me. And then, uh, but what I documented there was another fact in my life. When I was five years old, growing up on this farm in Connecticut, I fell off a roof onto my back onto a stone patio and cracked my skull. But it didn't crack because I was just five years old. It was still made of, you know, rubber. Soft, yeah. But it dented it and it and it cut it, and I had like you know over a dozen stitches in my skull. In a five-year-old's head, and it knocked me out, of course. And then when I came to, I was like trying to catch my breath because I it knocked the wind out of me. And then I didn't know I was injured because there was no pain. Because when you have that kind of injury, it's just the body kicks in and numbs itself. So I just was crying because I wanted my mommy. I went, you know, I just walked 50 yards, and then I was home. And then I walked in, and my mom freaked out, seeing me just covered in blood. Went to the doctor, got sewn up. But I included that in my story. Because, and then 
one of the audience members came up after the screening and said, you know, um, there's, there's, um, I don't know if he said there's proof or there's studies or you know, whatever he said um, in that in that vein that uh, people with head injuries often can you know, open up to psychic uh, skill, uh, you know, um, um, clairvoyance or you know, clairaudience or something like that. It, it can open up the, the brain to the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to to to, to, reset, to receiving easier than someone without that damage or something. It, it shocks the brain or it, or it forces the brain to to fill in or something. Open I don't know. synapses, it, crossover. Right. Yeah. And it's right in my crown. It, it, I, I was hit. <sighs> I landed right in my crown, not in the back of my head, but right almost at the top. It's just, just down from the top, right in, in the spot that, um, you know, is like the, the top of the body. Oh, oh. And, and I, I think it did. I think it did open me up. It, it did create a lot of distress in my physical body and I, I've had I've disabilities due, that were triggered due to that. That is definitely something that is um, noted and uh, observed in cases, right? Where either people get injured and gain either, you know, added mathematics that they never knew right. or even psychic abilities all the way right. to people who have had, yeah, post-traumatic stress even that, you know, uh-huh. it may yeah. cause the stress but at the same time it causes some new induced abilities or perceptions. So, yeah, it, it does happen in rare cases. It, it, it's almost near death. I mean, it was a traumatic brain injury, and I was young enough to bounce back. But if that happened to me now, I'd be a vegetable. It, it, it probably happened at that early age, so that it could, like, you know, um, you know, cause cause whatever I had to do. Because I, it, it, you know, the story is simple. I just uh, liked adventure, and I lured our two dogs up to this this slopey roof that was used to be a chicken coop, so it was easy to get in from the bottom and climb up and whatever. I found my way. I was an adventurer. And I was just stupidly wanting to bring the dogs over to, to one area. And I put the pan. I, I was luring them with their dog food in pans. And I was. And then when I got to the end, I stopped because there was the edge of the roof. I wanted to put the pans down. But they jumped on me to jump on the food and push me off. So oh. I had I lured the dogs into a situation where I had to fall back onto a patio. So something in me at that age was 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 luring me into that setup. Right. It wasn't necessarily you luring the dogs as much as fate or destiny luring you. Right. And so it must have been meant to be where I just had to have a head injury so that I could... And so the haunting... So you could attract aliens, that, you could attract a psychic sense, you could grow a little bit of a, of a third eye. And I had to be careful, you know, because I, 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 I was telling people years later about all that, I think I was on a was I I think I was in a psychic chat room at one point maybe during the nineties you know on AOL or whatever it was something like that yeah and one gal says uh, yeah be you know be careful because once you're opened up to all that you know it can drive you crazy and look crazy sound crazy so just be careful what you allow into your brain you know make sure you're the gatekeeper mm. and so I always kept that in mind that that's you know, well said and, and, then, and then tied to that was at this nineteen eighties uh, retreat for attunement. Um, um, Patty St. John and Patricia Hayes were the two ladies who organized it. Patricia Hayes did the artwork, but but uh, Patty St. John, she's the one that predicted the Niagara Falls thing, and she was the main teacher. Uh, but her husband did regression stuff. I didn't know what that was at the time. So I did a regression uh, uh, event with him. Laid down in a, in, a, in a quiet, dark room, closed my eyes, and he talked me back into time. And I was kind of going back into whatever my memory bank was, and I kept thinking that my imagination and my memory. So I was still using the, the psychic attunement skills I had. So I would just let go and just let whatever enter my brain, enter my brain, and I would just talk about it. So I just keep talking all the way back. 
And I happened to see my two best friends from college there, and you know, they were going back like prior spirits or prior lives or something like we'd known each other before, which it felt like when we met anyway. Um, <laughs> but I didn't pay much attention to it. And then I won't go into the details here, but um, basically I started to open up to this prior life, and then a flood of all these spirits came at me. And I felt like I opened the door to Hades or something. Not Hades, but um, just, just the universe of, of all the entities and all the misfits, you know, mischievous ones, everything just, just coming at me. It's like It was like moths to a flame. I was the flame, and all these moths were coming at me. Now, you saw this visually, or you felt it, or... I felt it. And so I had to stop the regression because I felt I had opened up a whole new, because I was, you know, going back to like an ancient time thing. And I, I don't know if it was symbolic or a message for me, but it was just, just picture a whole lot of bats flying at you. Mm. You know, you kind of want to wake up. <laughs> and um, so I just said, okay, I, I, I've done enough. And then and I said, did we go back in time? He goes, yeah, but it also might be the future, he told me. And so that now has stayed in my mind because now I'm thinking what I saw maybe is the future. So I'm very mindful of that. And then also around that period of eight to 10 years old, eight to 12, I did my art. My dad was an artist, so I was copying him too. I do art drawing. And I actually, I found this artwork recently. I drew a, a picture of a headstone with my name on it and then my birthday and my death day. Oh, wow. And it's literally in like, you know, 14 years from, t- from now or something. Oh, wow. And at that point, who, who would have known that you could have even done the math correctly, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I just, As a kid. It, it just, uh, I just grabbed that out of the air, but wow, it must man. have been maybe. And I'm curious when that year comes, I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm going to be looking over my shoulder and be watching out. I bet you're going to be stepping up your workflow over the next uh, seven. Who knows? Yeah, well, it just make, <laughs> make me know that if this is my last chapter, let me go out with a bang. Yeah. So, I hear you. Uh, anyway, but that that's, that kind of ties into all that together too. So I just want to share those things with you because uh, oh, awesome. again, again, I'm very skeptical, but it's hard to deny some of this stuff. Fair enough, and 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 quite brilliant uh, approach. So please, uh, outside of the regression, was there a, a number of paranormal experiences that are that stick with you? Um. I have to check my notes. What did I tell you? Anything else that I sent you that you wanted to ask about? Why don't you look at those notes? Uh, yeah, that's what I'm looking at. So, so you just mentioned two decades of being haunted. Well, again, the haunting ties to the, all the moths, the flames, the, the bats flying at me. From that regression, I realized how I had to be careful. So when I did psychometry of, of 9-11, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm drawing in like a seance but a single person saying that's all the way I could explain it because I'm not around the table holding hands with others. I'm just doing it myself, but I open the door. And because I'm a conduit, it's like, you know, hey, come over here. Marco, Marco can hear you. Marco, you know, it's Mm. almost like they're all flying to me. And they didn't have to all come that night. Yeah, it could be an open door. But they're all coming all at once. They they all want to talk. It's just like, you know, chattering press. You know, for the press asking questions, you know, or or birds chirping. So to me... Not that I visualize, I visualize it, but I don't see it. It's not, it's not a clairvoyant thing, but it, it's what I, what it feels like, you know, what, what I, what I sense in my extrasensory perception makes me feel like I, I got to be careful opening up because I don't know who, who, who will come, who will be flying in. You know, it's just like haunted houses and ghosts and everything. You know, there, you know, 
you either have to believe every, everyone perishes with their body or something stays, that there's something that is eternal that, that keeps changing and moving and moving along. You know, maybe cows uh, become humans. Cow, cow spirits become humans, or maybe they stay in the cow world, or they go down to the squirrel world. I mean, you can think of this whole bad <laughs> thing that. going on there. Indeed. And but talk about multiverses, you know, that, that's, that's nature's multiverse. And yes. I'm very influenced by Indian culture and Vedanta society stuff. I, I did a, a very, you know, a, another a spiritual retreat I did, a fa- fasting for six months and a very high-end meditation spiritual retreat for me to, uh, again, grasp all this stuff. And that was like 1981, 82 Oh, wow. Around eighty three, I think, so in that area. Yeah, taught you so, the vegetarian, uh, clean, heart, clean body, clean mind kind of thing. Every, everything, but I actually, you know, again, that's another uh, probably another show to tell you about all uh, that. Th- this sounds like we may have you back next season, brother. <laughs> I hitchhiked to the very tip of Baja with twenty dollars in my pocket, and yeah. I only had twenty dollars because my friend who I asked to drop me off on the freeway uh, on ramp wow. said, "Here, here's twenty bucks. This will start you off." And I and I spent a whole journey hitchhiking down to the right tip of Baja, about thousands some odd miles down and back, and then I went up to a retreat in Northern California, north of San Francisco, um, and uh, spent time um, at a Vedanta. Um, it was just five monks living on this ranch, and it was very peaceful and quiet. But uh, the main Swami that I was visiting in San Francisco, I was going to his uh, temple that he they had all they were worshiping all the prophets, and I was just felt universal connection there and i go meditate every day religiously and he saw me so uh this woman at the front desk says you know the swami's been seeing you come and go you know we have a retreat you want to go visit there he knows i took it seriously so i was refining my my meditation skills and again to sum it up i finally went to the retreat and i was able to sit still in this one day a little meditation space a small space you know no bigger than a closet and but nice and carpeted and it was very just empty and a little, little uh, altar place at the end, and you sit there and with pillows, and you quiet yourself. And I was able to go in there every day, and meditate for five hours straight, still my mind for five hours. Wow! And I, and I did that for a couple of weeks, and I kind of wanted to stay. It was kind of peaceful, of course. It was kind of oh. you know, escaping, escaping the world. And so I asked the Swami. I was there for a week, and then I said, "You stay." He let me stay one more week. But then the third week, he says, "No, it's time for you to go now and take what you've learned here and take it out." So uh, I've been taking that to heart ever since. I think you've had me with more wows, humph, grunts, and and, <laughs> and noises tonight than I've had on any of the episodes prior, uh, Marco. Really stimulating food for thought, man. Thank you for sharing. Well, I'm glad I have the experience to share with you. Uh, well, I'm glad you're willing to share because I'm sure so many of us are going through so many phases of the process of growth, self, and evolution, let alone psychic is a whole nother facet that mankind seems to be currently sleeping on or awakening to, however we want to look at it. Well, as an organism, humankind is still very young. Um, Marco, if I will, you've answered a lot of things tonight that are often in my first three, four questions. I'd like to pass an idea by you. I've been kicking around, and as a fellow artist I, and, and, and psychic, we'll say, um, d- train psychic, if not at all. Um, let me let me bounce an idea off you. I love to think of art and artists, and we do say so that you know it's a reflection of society, right? Whether you're a painter, or a movie maker in today's modern world, um, art is often a reflection of the society or the subconscious of the human organism. Right. Would that be fair 
Would you agree? I, that's fair. It's, it's, it's an expression of, of our being, of our existence, and it's often a reflection of our of, of our surroundings and how we see the world. Um, uh-huh. And every artist is different, taps into different areas of that. But right, it, musicians differently, it, everybody poets but, differently. But it is often a reflection uh, or an expression of, of how we see the world, how we filter the world. I mean, however it is, artist is, is the person. This is how I put it. There's a lot of order out there. But there's also uh, sort of some things that seem chaotic. Well, the artist should actually make order out of chaos mm. for people. Help make order that's, out that's, of it, that's, yeah. That's the, artist, that's the artist's job. Although the 20th century blew that up by deconstructing, and now artists were about destroying all the order and making it all broken up, you know, all the way to Picasso. But, you know, we've gone through that. Now it's time to make order again. And even in Picasso, it's showing chaos, but in such an orderly fashion, too. It was actually about perception or kind of breaking the fourth wall yeah. and a little bit of consciousness. And and then adding your own thing. You know, yeah. just being not being afraid to copy anything and just doing something original. Mm. And and that's that's why people stand out like that, because they're not afraid to just take what they've learned, keep reflecting stuff until eventually they're kind of reflecting their own inner soul. And your inner soul or new. closer to the community truth or the bigger truth. Right. Yeah, and right. we're all in search of an honest reflection in ourself of that bigger truth that we search, right? right? And, so, it, and as babies, it may start with our environment, but it may eventually grow to our own consciousness and our own self-reflection and our own connection to the universe. Mm. And that's what we're reflecting on. So, so that leads me to a let's let's do if we if we will just for a moment, especially us both being filmmakers um, outside of this podcast. A lot of movies are at a new level. If we, if we'll take movies for a moment. You know, 20 years ago, every movie was zombie or post-apocalyptic, right? I mean, even 15, 10 years ago. We're moving into a new phase. Now it's all, uh, if if we'll generalize, uh, it's way more sci-fi now. It's about consciousness. It's It's about AI. It's about multiverse. It's about parallel dimensions. We left just time travel that we started in the 80s. And before then, but we started with time travel in the 80s and we've uh, even He-Man, I think, uh, in the 90s, late 80s was on, you know, like vibration and multi-dimensions. And now, you know, what movie is it about the multiverse or parallel dimensions? Well, uh, that's the theme. You know, Matrix kind of started the thing, right? Matrix kind definitely of popularized it, yeah. Right. And you can go back in time, you know, all the way to H.G. Wells and going back, you know, to all kinds of, you know... Uh, Lovecraft. Time, time travel and... You know, um, TV show called The Prisoner. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that there's expressing that kind of, uh, you know, alternate world. You didn't, you know, uh, Inception, right? That Star Trek's Lost in Space. A little bit of everything right. so, talked so, about but, that. But those are trends. That, that that's what that's what artists are capitalizing on because the public wants that because it's, it's the latest, hottest thing. But when those things die off or 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 mutate to something new, what's that next thing going to be? I'm always trying to use my skills to say, well, what's the next thing going to be so I can pick up the next wave? Indeed, be on the front of the trend, surf it. Because it takes because it takes a while to make movies. When you do a painting, you can do a painting in a day, and then, hey, I got a painting, guys. This is what was in my head. But a movie, you got to take, you know, months, 18 years, months to three years, right? yeah. So so it's like, you know, when you first think about doing it, you know, until anyone sees it, it's going to be way down the road, and then will it be passe at that point? You know, it's not meant for the time you think about it. So I, I believe I have the type of brain uh, that sees things so that when I make things, the timing is good. Cause it's all about timing and release of projects too. As far as success uh, of art but, currently. Yeah. But, 
I'm still trying that out. But but yeah, I I, I agree with you in terms of our artists are about reflecting and often putting a mirror up to society or often just extracting inspiration from and then creating their own filter and their own perception. Yeah, and I see... Movies. Yeah? Yeah, and I see what you're saying completely. I also think, you know, when something vibrates as authentic, right, that's when you get the green light. That's when people yeah, agree with it, you and right. give you money. So Whatever even though there's things that trending, sometimes even that trending can be that vibration that we're all feeling. So we hold this Look, project or this I filmmaker just, up high, you know? Right, right. I just I just caught uh, Jaws 3, 4, 5 or something, you know? <laughs> it was so bad and cheesy. It's like they were just, they are rigging every last little dollar out of this thing, right? Yeah, it's not the definitely a trend Jaws, there. You know? You know? So the, the point is, the business aspect of things like Hollywood, they're trying to wring every dollar out of something so they can kind of just get every little bit of fruit out of that tree and then they move on but you know they're not going to leave fruit on the tree so they're going to get every drop out of it mm. it's, it's a sad truth yeah but but those are trends those are things we the dystopian stuff you know um uh irobot you know i just catching that on so you know these futuristic things i'm i'm working in, into the futuristic world too because i might as well you know with all this experience now living in the future basically so I'm actually conceiving of, of a future, of a couple of future projects. One of them is an AI project, and it's not dystopian. It's utopian. So I'm going to open up. I'm sharing the secret here. And anyone I want to jump on board, I want to try to get there first. But my, my sci-fi projects will be noted by utopian qualities, not the dystopian qualities. And the way I explain that is people are going to be falling in love with the greater possibilities as opposed to all the things that were our fears. And it's going to create a futuristic world that's going to make sense in such a way that the audience is going to feel good and entertained, not because of the horrible things that are happening, but because because the fascinating, great things are happening. Right, the potential for teaming up or curing or working together or falling in love. Well, my next project takes place in, in 2099. Does it take place in America or just on Earth? Well, it takes place on um, it. It, op- it takes place in Nevada. Very cool. So it opens. It opens in Nevada. Yeah, it's definitely fun stuff, you know. And, yeah. and uh, But the, I'm approaching it like I've like I've been saying all, all evening here that um, I just asked the question. Okay, if I were AI, where would I be at this time? Where would human race be? Where would mm. I keep? And so I'm making. I'm writing something that's actually the answer to my question. So who knows? I could I could be foretelling the future. You could be tapping it, or maybe an inkling of it, or maybe you know reflecting on it so that we can think about what we do today with that. But I'm not creating a whole. The world is certainly has changed, and and I'll add one more thing. In the world I see in the future, the population has been in in my sci-fi movie. I still will retain sci-fi status because I can't prove anything until it happens. Mm -hmm. Way off. Uh, I won't be alive probably when that happens, so I can't really say I can foretell it, but the population of the earth is going to be diminished. And maybe it's that year, maybe it's hundreds of years later or a thousand years later, but for the sake of the story, I wanted to minimize it to just the surviving numbers of humans that that have survived. Mm. That's the only dystopian quality is that fact, but everything else... We're still healing as a species from the truth that we have created. So 2099, we're still in recovery mode, and AI is helping us, and AI is creating a, a beautiful new world. That's all I can say. That's, that say sounds that. idyllic, and whoa, don't we all hold on to hope and something to uh, fight it. for. 
that's it. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm taking the, a dark subject and I'm making it bright. So well, that um, would be a smart time for AI to work with us. Like, hey, we're we're not going to kick you while we're down. We're going to help you lift up. <laughs> well, I don't want to give away too much, but I'll, I'll give away one more thing, and that is my theory or the answer to my questions about things that can formulate a theory. So the dinosaurs came along, you know, to stamp down the earth, create this, those organisms, you know, from the, from the world. And then create all the, the the dinosaurs and all the plant matter and all all the flora and flora that just created the the petroleum oil of today, basically, right? All the algae, all that stuff that just got reduced to oil. Mm. We wouldn't be and without so them. And so the oil became the power of the industrial revolution and and, and science and, and computers and electricity and everything. And, you know, nuclear came along too, but oil is still there, running it. We're just sapping all the sinuses of the earth dry and that stuff to just crank out more and more stuff but we're but in that process of energy we're, we're creating this new technology called ai and so i see ai as the third wave there so you had dinosaurs human beings and now you have ai and human being uh, dinosaurs led to human beings human beings led to ai you can't have one without them so that's the next step in the evolutionary ladder i have so i'm giving away the premise of the movie and that's all i'm going to talk about I hope to see something like that pop up in nine to eighteen months on the website. We might be fortunate. Right. Well, no, I ask anyone who's listening: do not steal my idea. If you like it, join forces with me. There you have it. We wish you clarity and energy and grace with that follow through, <laughs> brother. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I do have a number of questions that I love to yeah. finish the show with. Um, I'll sure. you've knocked out a, a bunch of them, so I'm just going to skip ahead, if you will. Let's do whatever you want. In hindsight, is there anything you interpret differently, both the paranormal or the UFO, the prophetic and psychic insights, training as it goes? Is there anything, thoughts, feelings, or how you intuit these experiences in life that, you know, with with time you've been able to have an objectivity on the serendipity or, you know, you you feel something or see something you didn't 20, 30 years ago. Is there anything you, you like to share about the hindsight of this all? Well... What, when you say when you say hindsight, I'm picturing okay from when I was eight years old, and, and that teacher's name came into my mind from that car my mom was driving, my brother was sitting in, all the way to today. Um, yeah, it was unknown back then. It was kind of scary. It was exciting and scary at the same time. Um, now, with all my experience I've been through and all the exploration I've done, and, and all the you know pushing the limits and t- test driving my skills and um, Kind of uh, figuring it all out to the best I can, the best of my ability, as best I can. Uh, I have I developed a faith, so you know my um, my faith in the greater of everything is pretty much how I feel centered in it all. And um, I don't try to go off on tangents of my imagination, you know about you know what aliens look like and all that. Although, if I wanted to, I would just ask and what would they look like? And I do contemplate that a lot, but I don't put a lot of attention to it because I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm more of an empirical scientist, you know? So I, I, I deal with, deal with the empirical when things are real, they're real. I pay attention. They're not, I'm, I'll use them as fiction in a, in a story, but <laughs> the reality is what matters. And, and where I'm based in reality, the reality to me is the things that have, have been proven to me over time. So all the stories I've told you and many more have reinforced my sense of what I believe in and what I don't. Hmm. But but beyond that, 
is faith in something greater that I don't need the whole explanation for. I don't want a whole explanation. That's what faith is for. So you don't you can relieve your mind of having to comprehend it all. Just just, just kind of know it and, and, and believe it. So the serendipity um, helped reinforce the faith of it all. Well, I, I believe in destiny. I believe, in, in, like I said, I believe in patterns. And I do feel my life has been tossed around I've, you know, for various reasons. You know, I've taken different directions, moved, done this. You know, careers change, and you know, all kinds of stuff. You know, traveled across country, moved across country numerous times. So, you know, a lot of things happen, and I kind of go kicking and screaming with changes or this or that. But in the end, I look back and I go, "No, it was all part of the pattern. What my life needed to be, and I'm netted out being pretty happy with, with my life." You know, I, I wasn't easy. It was, it was it's, I've had very difficult times. But even the difficult times have, have tempered my steel and have made me understand that life is about enduring as well as being inspired by it. But you've got to know how to endure life. And all the fears of the aliens or anything, all that stuff, I, I feel I've grown more fear, fearless than fearful. I'm going to take so those I, words endure strongly from you, brother. So those are the conclusions I've drawn that um, I'm not to be afraid. Strong conclusions. I'm, not, I'm, obviously, I'm obviously telling everybody else, don't be afraid. But I can't talk to everybody else. Maybe, right. again, maybe I just have good karma and other people don't. I don't know. <laughs> or made the right choice in the right moment. Who yeah, knows? and I do. I do contemplate. I ask whenever there's crossroads in my life, I've tapped into the psychic ability to ask, what's the answer? What do I do next? You know, tell me, Lord, tell me, God. You know, I'm not a highly religious person that way. I'm, I'm more of a generalist. Yeah, I always crack up when it tells me back, there is no wrong choice. I'm like, nope, that doesn't help me. <laughs> okay, so let's see. Uh, next one. Has anyone in your family had similar experiences, paranormal or UFO? Uh, that's hard to say. I don't know everyone's experience. Um, no, I know. And, you know, sometimes our parents talk to us, oh, man, when I was a kid, I saw this. Ex, you know, well, a bunch of times or put, something. Put this way, I didn't grow up with anyone telling me about it. I didn't grow up with anyone explaining it or exposing me to it. It was the these these occasions that things happened to me that I go, something has to explain this. Hmm. So, it, it's something, it's an experience that happened to me that I got fascinated with. It's nothing that was introduced to me. Except yeah. the Ouija board. You know, I, I did have a, a my. I forgot who it was that introduced me to the Ouija board, and then had some freaky experiences with the Ouija board too. Oh man, we let me write this note for next season. Here we go. Yeah, we yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. I'll tell you the Ouija board stories, <laughs> and those are hard to explain too. I'm telling you, just like finding the, the sticker, that story that find the sticker, the Ouija board stuff is is, is just mind blowing. Is that indeed? All right. Here's my final question for you, Marco. Uh, have you ever reported? your paranormal or UFO uh, experiences to any agency, UFO, it would be, you know, something like MUFON or the National UFO Reporting Center for the paranormal. I don't even know personally. I need to look into uh, what some of the paranormal research centers are these days that one could report to. But have you ever reported to any agencies yourself? No, I haven't, 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 haven't thought of it. I haven't had a need to ever cross my mind. Um, and, really haven't even thought about it until you brought it up yeah there we go there you have it that's often the case oh. marco we had a great time you shared your right. life and uh i learned a lot personally that edified some of my own life experiences as well as just oh, excited good. to learn from yours so thank you for coming on tonight and thank you for sharing 
Good. Hope it wasn't too long. Not at all. Very good. Well, I'm, it was my pleasure spending time with you and answering your questions and sharing, you know, stuff that um, I hope um, helps people understand themselves better. Indeed, that is that is the endeavor. Believe it or not. Thank you, Marco. I appreciate your time this evening. Thank you so very much. Likewise. Have a good evening. I'd like to thank you all for hanging with us today. If you enjoyed what you heard, please like, subscribe, or follow The Experiencer Podcast. If you have an experience you'd like to share, you can contact me at theexperiencerpodcast at gmail.com with your story. The Experiencer Podcast is building a companion website that will showcase and feature any accompanying photos, footage, or details allowed or submitted alongside stories featured when permissible. It is in this vein that The Experiencer Podcast is seeking and now accepting any footage of alleged sightings, encounters, or experiences caught on camera. Please forward any links, footage, or photos via WeTransfer Dropbacks to theexperiencerpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again, everyone, and until next time, be sure to take care, and of course, keep those eyes on the skies.